Welcome to Mamas on a Mission. This is Season 2, Episode 10. Mamas, we are at the last episode of the season. I hope you've enjoyed the range of topics and incredible Melbourne mums who have shared their stories. I'm Holly, the Chief Mummer of Motherhood Melbourne, host of this podcast, Mummers on a Mission, and co-founder of Facing Motherhood. It's been my absolute pleasure to bring you a different mum and mission each week. I hope to start working on season three really soon. So if you haven't already, hit subscribe to this podcast so the new season automatically downloads. And come on over and follow me on Insta and Facey at Motherhood Melbourne. It's where I love to chat about each episode. If you've got any topics you'd like covered in the future or recommendations of Melbourne mums who are doing incredible things to help others, please let me know. Okay, I'm finishing up the season sharing a Melbourne mum who is at the beginning of her mission. She was surprised to be invited as a guest, but I have always said that this podcast is about providing a platform for people who need to be heard. Melbourne mums that are taking action to shake things up. And I can see with this guest that she's doing that. And I hope that in some small way, I can help her amplify her message. That's why I'm proud to introduce you to Carolyn Dicker of Project Strong Mum. Carolyn is uniting mums by building a community of acceptance and support. She hopes to inspire mums to live life on their terms and to start believing that they are always enough. When you hear Carolyn's story, you'll understand where this comes from. She gets very vulnerable and shares her struggles with motherhood. If you've been sitting on an idea for a while to help others, I hope this episode gives you insight into how to move past the fear and kick into mission mode. Carolyn starts the chat by sharing how her pregnancy and birth was the catalyst to major personal changes. Let's meet Carolyn. First pregnancy, I was 27 years old. Um, hubby and I had been together for about seven years, married for about six months, and we we're like, right, next step of our journey together, let's have a baby. Um, I think you think, you know, it's simple, like we'll just make the decision and then it'll happen straight away. Uh, it took us about 14 months to fall pregnant the first time. Uh, obviously very excited, told all the family, everyone's, you know, counting down the days. Everything was perfectly normal. Uh, 12 week scan was fine. It wasn't until we got to the 20 weeks, actually it was after the 20 week scan, we went to get a 3D scan done just to see the little alien being that would come out of the 3D <laughs> scan. And um, that's when the, the guy doing the scan was like, oh, has anyone ever mentioned anything about a baby's kidneys before? And we were like, no, like what's wrong? And he goes, oh no, it's fine, like it's normal. A lot of babies can have slight abnormalities. You, you know, your baby's got one slightly bigger than the other, but it's it's fine. It's common. Don't worry about it. But just keep it in mind and, and we'll mention it to the obstetrician. Of course, when you say that to a first-time mother, <laughs> it was like, there's something wrong. Like, I know you're telling me it's normal, but I don't know what that means. Um, so it was, it was fear from the onset, pretty much. Uh, we had a follow-up with the obstetrician. He said the same thing, like, super common. We'll follow up after you have bubs. We'll have some scans. We'll see, see from there. But I think it was just the, it was always in the back of your mind after that. It was like, well, you don't, you know, the fear of the unknown. Um, and then at 32 weeks, my blood pressure, or well, I started getting pains one day in, in the top of my stomach. Um, didn't know if it was labour. Didn't know what it was. I uh, went to an uh, obstetrician appointment and he said, oh, your blood pressure's really quite high. Um, and he goes, showing signs of preeclampsia. He goes, we'll send you off to hospital, get you checked out just in case type thing. So I went to hospital. They wouldn't let me leave. So I was there for three days and blood pressure was, I was starting to worry about my um, liver function as well um, because my blood pressure was so high. So they said, if, you can't, if we can't get your blood pressure down in the next three days, uh, you'll have to deliver um, because there's a risk to you and baby if we let it go on. So... <laughs> Thankfully, blood pressure came down. I went home. Uh, again, it was just, everything was very stressful. Everything was the, um, yeah, the unknown of, you know, on one hand, it was like, is baby going to be okay? And then it was actually never about me. I never really cared what was happening to me. It was just like, the, like they're like, you know, you can have sex on you and can have complications with you. I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'll be fine. But as long as baby's okay. So anyway, I got through through to 38 weeks um, and blood pressure 
took off again. So they, they decided to induce me. Um, and it was so, I remember it being really weird. It was like, you knew, you know, when you're pregnant, you're going to have a baby. Like, you know, at the end of the nine months, you're going to have a baby. But when you're given an exact date, it's kind of like, oh, like it's happening now. <laughs> it was just bizarre. So induced at 38 weeks. Um, they broke my water in the morning and contraction started. They were back to back. So there was no, no relief from that. Um, I got through to about two o'clock in the afternoon. They decided to give me an epidural only because there was, I was getting exhausted pretty much. Um, had the epidural, went straight to sleep, <laughs> had a snooze, woke up and hubby was watching the V8s on the TV. And I was kind of like, where am I? What am I doing here? Um, got through to about, it was about five o'clock and the um, doctor came in and he said, I was only about four centimetres dilated and he goes, you're not progressing. And baby's heart rate starting to go a little bit, a little bit funny. Um, he goes, I recommend that we're, we're going to do a Caesar. And I was like, I went into mother, I went into pregnancy and motherhood. Like I was like, I didn't have a birth plan. I was just like, I'll do whatever I need to do. Like I'm open if I need drugs, I'll do drugs, whatever kind of, you know, gets the baby out safely. But once that kind of was taken away from me, I went very much like, no, no. Like, I'm like, I actually said to myself, I'm not having a cesarean. I'm like, just give me a bit more time. <laughs> and he was like, no, we have to. And I was hysterical by then. I'm like, I'm not doing it. Like, I don't want to. And hubby's there. Like, he goes, but you said you were fine. <laughs> like, you know, beforehand you were fine. And I'm like, but I've been at this all day. Like, you know, we've been in labor all day. Like, I thought, I had an idea, you know, you have an idea of what you think's going to happen. So anyway, um, wheeled me through the cesarean, had the baby. Um, it was a boy, you know, thoroughly happy, excited, all the rest of it. Um, but then what felt like straight after, like there was no skin to skin contact. They wrapped him up. He had a quick hello type thing. And then they were like, oh, Baby and, and hubby can go back to the room. We've just got to stay down here in recovery for a bit. And I remember my husband leaving with, with the baby and I was just kind of like, this isn't how it was meant to be. Like, it just, I lay there. It was about half past six on a Saturday night and there were nurses in the room and they were chatting about where they were going that night and what clubs they were going to. And I just lay there looking at the clock going, I've had my first baby. I don't know where he is. And this isn't how it was meant to be, sort of thing. Um, and then they took me back to the room. And I remember being, I can still picture, you know, you can just have a picture and hubby sitting over by the window, baby's in his arms. And obviously I'm, it's not about, I'm happy for hubby that he had that moment. But I felt like I missed, I'd already missed my moment. Like you kind of walk in like half an hour later, like you're just now meeting your son type thing. And it was just that disconnect in a way. Like it was instant love. Like I looked at him and I'm like, you're the best thing ever. But I'm like, but I don't. Yeah. It's just that, that disconnect from how you thought it was going to be. And then because I had a Caesar, the way the, um, the hospital worked was for the first night, they'd take the baby to the nursery overnight. So I literally had a couple of hours with him. Grandparents came in, which was fantastic. And then hubby went home. And then they came in and then said, okay, we'll take baby to the nursery. You can have a sleep. And again, I was kind of like, I just did. I said yes, because I thought that's what, that's what you did. Like I didn't know, I didn't know I could say no or anything. I was just like, okay. So they took baby away. I didn't go to sleep. <laughs> I sat there crying pretty much. And then when obviously baby was ready for a feed, they'd wheel him back in. I'd feed, finish. And then they'd wheel him back off again. So it was a very, again, I think I was just like, in my mind, I was like, this is just, this is just how it is. Like, this is just what happens. But that deep down feeling inside me was, this isn't how it's meant to be. Like, this isn't what you, you hear and you see and, and how other people were saying it. And then, um, like, in the hospital on the third day, um, baby like my son was really unsettled and wouldn't sleep and things and a, and a midwife came in and she's like um have you been to the breastfeeding clinic and I'm like I didn't even know you had a breastfeeding clinic like no one had told me <laughs> where is it type thing so I went down there and they um they're like oh we'll just get you to express and see how much milk you've got type thing so I sat there and there's a couple of other ladies in there and they're milking away as I call it in the dairy 
Um, and their little bottles are filling up and I sat down and attached to everything, feeling ridiculously uncomfortable <laughs> and start pumping away. And I just remember it was like, I'm looking and there's nothing coming out and I'm waiting. And then there's like one drop and I'm watching these other ladies and they're just like, it's just <laughs> flowing. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I remember, I remember sitting there and I'm like, I'm literally shaking the thing to try and get the drips to fall out and by the end I don't know how long I was there for but it was literally like oh five ten mil it was like nothing and the midwife came to me and she goes look she goes obviously you know baby's not getting enough food from you so with your permission is it okay if we give him some formula and I remember thinking like why do you even have to ask I understand why they have to ask that because some people are against it but I'm like my baby's starving pretty much um of course I'm gonna say yes but it was also inside, I'm like, you're not doing enough. Like, you can't even feed him. Like, and it was pretty much instant. It was pretty much that instant feeling of, and you're not even able to feed your own child. Like, it, and then it was compounding. It was the, you didn't get the, the birth didn't go the way you wanted it to. And then, you know, and now this isn't working. It was just kind of snowballing from there. So, so yeah, then started the, you know, breastfeeding, topping up formula. And then expressing merry-go-round that then you go on, which then fills up all your days. So, yeah, that was pretty much our time in hospital. So five days went very quick on one hand, but felt very slow on another. Yeah. And that birth experience is so surreal. And we are very fortunate that we have great medical care, but there is something missing there with that emotional support that you need at a time when you're so vulnerable. And especially if you've never been in a hospital sort of setting before, like it is, they're they're going about their day. They're talking about going out at night. Um, And you're kind of here like, I just had a baby guy, especially when it's your first and you've never experienced anything like that. But it, it does put you in such a vulnerable position. And there is no one that's kind of talking you through this next bit, especially when, do you feel like, like there's a lot of buzz and noise around you when you're giving birth, but as soon as it stops, it's almost like no attention is given to you at all. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly how it was like, like the, the midwives were in the, I see in the room with me afterwards, like they were friendly enough. They were checking in on me as in any pain, any this, any that. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. But I was like completely numbed. I was fine because I was like, what just happened? Like it was, it was just so not on my radar that that's how, how it would end, not end, but how it would happen type thing. But I was like, and there was no even like, they were just like, you know, oh, you know, hubby and babies are in the room. Like, where's the room? Because I haven't been to, it was a different room than I was in before. So I'm like, where in the hospital is that? Like, it's just, and it was was such a brief, like, here's your baby. Oh, he's beautiful. And then he's gone. And it was, yeah. As you say, it's it's the, and I don't think, because I mean, none of us know what we're doing going into this. You can't, I don't think anything, you can read all the books. Not that I did. I didn't read a single book. Um, <laughs> but read all the books and even talk to, other, talk to other people. But you don't know how your birth is going to go type thing. So, yeah, as you say, I think it's right. You, there's, there's that emotional support for the mother afterwards that I think, you know, obviously we've got to focus on the baby because the baby's brand new. But we've got to check in on mum and see how she's going too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So then after all of that that you've gone through, you bring your baby home. How are you feeling? And then I guess what was your first experience of motherhood like, those first sort of couple of days, weeks, month, year? Yeah, so very happy to come home. Like just familiar surroundings made a world of difference. As I said, I was still doing the breastfeeding, topping up thing that was okay because we're kind of getting into a bit of a groove with that hubby was off work anyway so that made it easier um but we came home from hospital on the Wednesday and then on Friday or Thursday night trying to get into bed I started to get in these really sharp pains down my left hand side underneath my chest I couldn't lie flat every time I tried to lie down flat it was like someone was stabbing me with a knife um so Friday morning I said to hubby I said we go to the doctor just in case like, I'll be fine, but we'll go and have a look just in case. So I went to the doctor and um, they checked, checked me out, um, checked my oxygen stats, which were a bit low. And the doctor was like, oh, we're a bit concerned you might have a blood clot in your lung. And I was like, okay. 
Righto, what does that mean? And he goes, well, you've got two options. He goes, we call an ambulance. He goes, or if you've got someone to drive you straight to the hospital, we'll let someone drive you. And I, I think that's the first thing I said is, but I've got a newborn baby. And he goes, I understand that, but you have to go. If it's a blood clot, you have to go now. So, of course, I'm upset. I'm in the car park and I'm like, I don't want an ambulance. Like, I said, I'll, and then got, my husband's like, he goes, well, do you want me to drive you in? I said, but I don't know how long we're going to have to wait for. And I was in my head like, and I won't have formula and I don't, like, how do I feed my son when I'm in there? So in the end, I decided to get my mum and dad to drive me in and um, my husband would stay home with baby. But even that, I bawled my eyes out the whole way in and it wasn't the fact that I might have a blood clot. It was the fact that all the work I'd been doing for breastfeeding was now felt like it was just... Yeah, it's like, well, it's putting me back again. I'm like, I've been trying to do the best for him and now because of this thing. So anyway, got to the hospital. Um, pretty lucky. I pretty much went straight through. But they're like, okay, we've got to give you what's called a VQ scan, which checks your it's like blood flow and, and airflow through your lungs. Um, and they're like, to do that scan, though, you do become radioactive and then you, you can't breastfeed, breastfeed for 24 to 48 hours afterwards. So I'm like, really? Like, it was just like another knock. I'm just like, I'm like, okay. So I had the scan done. Um, on one hand, thankfully, it wasn't a blood clot. But as ridiculous as it sounds, I was so angry it wasn't a blood clot. Because I'm like, I've just had this scan. I'm now radioactive. I'm not meant to really go near baby either. Like, I'm not meant to feed him, but I shouldn't really be too close to him either. And I'm like, and for nothing. Like, it sounds stupid to say now because I'm like, I should have been so thankful that I didn't have a blood clot in my lung. But I'm like, but you've wrecked every, like, you know, it's just something else that's gone wrong. I'm like, so went home. They said, um, my son, like, hubby had been feeding him straight for me because, of course, I had no supply of milk because I didn't have enough anyway. Um, and now, of course, they, he was, you know, my son was happy as Larry, didn't know any different, but I, that was one of the big, the big ones where I was like, nothing's going right. Like everything's going wrong. So I, you know, kept expressing for the two days and chucking it down the sink. Cause I'm like, I think I went three or four days cause I was so petrified of being radioactive. Um, <laughs> and then started the, the feeding, topping up, expressing cycle again, but I just wasn't getting any more. It didn't matter how much I was trying to express. I just was never getting any more, but I still was like, you need to do the right thing. You need, you know that breastfeeding is best. Um, you must give him the best start possible. So I kept, I was absolutely exhausted, but had to keep going. And then at two weeks, because of course we still have this kidney problem that no one's checked. We were meant to be getting a referral from a pediatrician to have scans done when we left the hospital. We still had an I'd rang to follow up and we hadn't got it yet. And anyway, at two weeks old, um, it was really hot. I had a temperature, took him to the doctor and they're like, oh, it could be anything. Like he could be coming down with something. Just take him home. And if he's still like that tomorrow, bring him back. And the one thing I have to say to, to new mums is they talk about mother's intuition, which I was sort of like, nah, it's probably a load of crap type thing. <laughs> um, trust that. If you get that little nudge, go with the nudge. Because by about midnight, I said to my husband, I'm like, we're going to go to the children's. And he's like has something happened and I said no 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 I said but we need to go to the children's I said I just there's something not sitting right with me about this so he went in there um because of the hit they we'd said about his existing kidney problems they pretty much took us straight through um they did scans on his kidneys but in the meantime they were worried about meningitis so they had to do a lumbar puncture my husband had just left to go home to get formula and bottles and 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 all the rest of the things that I had to have um and yeah a lumbar puncture on a baby if you don't know is they pretty much hold them by the bottom and hold them by the head and bend them in half so they can get the right spot yeah so i'm standing there by myself like pretty much screaming at the nurses to stop but of course they can't because they have to do it um to do the lumbar puncture and then we got taken back into emergency and then up to a ward turns out it was his kidney and kidney infection um, but because they checked for meningitis and because the sample they'd taken came back contaminated, they had to treat for it just in case. So he was, he was on IV, 
can't remember, I think like seven types of antibiotics, IVs, or in there for a week. And um, as I when I say everything back now, I kind of go, no wonder I was struggling at the start because there was a lot. But at the time, you just cope. At the time, it's like, just keep going. Like, this is just where we're at and you just have to hold it together and keep going. Um, but the problem was being in the hospital for the seven days, there's me still trying to express and bottle feed and I'm in a ward with teenagers. Like, Jay, my son is in a, a little cot, but there's teenagers and older kids in the room. So when he'd wake for a feed at like two o'clock in the morning and because he's attached to IV cords, I'd have to jump up if I was asleep, which I didn't really do run down the hallway to the, to the kitchen to grab a bottle, which they'd had made of, um, and a jug of boiling water, which I wasn't meant to do. I was meant to heat it in the microwave, but I didn't, knew mum didn't want to do that, didn't want to make it too hot. Run back down the hallway into the room and then start feeding. So then, and there was one nurse who did the whole, you know, this would be easier if you were breastfeeding. Oh. And I'm like... You don't know, like, I know, I felt like saying, yes, I do. I do know that. Like, what do you think I'm trying to do? But I just not would have nodded and smiled and internalised everything. So that week was interesting. But we came home and he, he was on a year of antibiotics um, and scans and had a stent, had surgery at 10 months. So he's got permanent damage to one of his kidneys anyway, um, which, again, is common. Um, but, and I think I was guilting myself into why am I so upset when it's, it's something so common. Like I remember when we went for surgery for his kidney, um, the lady next to, me, next to me, her baby was there for brain surgery. And I was like, why am I worried about a kidney when it could be so much worse? Like I never allowed myself to feel bad, like to, to feel bad because it was a shitty situation for me. But I was like, you shouldn't be feeling like this. Like you should be grateful. It's not something worse. Like there's heaps of people out, kids out there with worse than what he's got. So you should like, don't feel that way. It was always the turn it off, turn it off type thing, which of course you can't do. <laughs> so yeah. So first year of motherhood was a bit of a rocky roller coaster. Oh, absolutely. Like you said, it's just one thing after another, after another, all these events that you don't expect and you are, you're, you're kind of in survival mode. So you're not thinking about how do I really process this? You know, you're not, you're not even really thinking about yourself. You're just like worried about someone else, putting all your energy into that and yep. you're forgetting about yourself. So it's, it's easy to see why it was such a struggle for that first year. But what, what other things, I guess, were you feeling about motherhood so when when you know you were at home with him how are you coping pretty safe to say I wasn't coping <laughs> um I am an extremely probably a bit funny that I'm doing a podcast an extremely private person like I internalize and I don't talk about feelings and share feelings and even with my husband like drives him insane that I just don't tell him things I think I can work everything out for myself so with all that going on uh, even in the very early days before even all the hospital things, I, ha I, I think guilt, guilt is the, is, the, is the word that sums up motherhood for me. Like I felt guilty that I wasn't doing enough or I hadn't done the right thing. And especially there was quite a few occasions where I, I, I felt guilty because he was stuck with me as his mum. Like I felt that he deserved so much better. And it's it's like... Well, I suppose that's it. Like, I remember there was one stage where, like, one, he was probably about seven or eight months old because he was sitting up and he was, we'd just gotten him out of bed and he was sitting on the bed next to me and he had his little blue sleeping bag on with the little red airplanes on it. <laughs> and he's got this little smile on his face because every mother thinks their kids are gorgeous, but he's got the best smile. And he's smiling at me and I'm bawling my eyes out. And I think I actually said, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so sorry you got stuck with me as a mum. Because I'm like, I don't know. I didn't know. I just didn't think I was doing anything right. Like, there's nothing that I was doing. As much as I was doing, everyone's telling me, like, you know, oh, you're doing this great job and he's such a, a good, you know, he's so well cared for. But I'm like, but I'm not. Like, And I don't even know, even thinking about it now, I'm like, I don't even know what I thought I was doing wrong. But I just, inside, just felt like I'm like, 
they would be better off with somebody out, somebody out, like there's someone more qualified, not that anyone's qualified, but there'd be someone out there better qualified than me because I don't know what I'm doing. And I was so worried about what was next as well. Like, it's like all these things one after the other. Well, then what's next? Because something else is going to go wrong. Like, yeah. And that, and that was on repeat constantly. So yeah yeah <laughs> and that's hard we we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to get it right or to do yeah it's it's really tricky with motherhood like we've never done it no one's ever taught us how to do it and all of a sudden we're experiencing all this guilt and and it's very different I don't know about your partner but was he expressing that he was feeling guilty that he didn't feel like he was doing a good job no I think <laughs> He pretty much, he was in, I think he was in survival mode, but he was in survival mode for my son and for me. I don't think he felt, because I said that to him not not that long ago. I'm like, you never cry, like you never, I never saw you upset. He goes, yeah, you never saw me upset. He goes, because I couldn't be upset in front of you because you already were having such a hard time. And I, I don't think I ever thought, I think I was so busy in it. I didn't actually even think about it from his perspective because he's a first time dad. Like yeah. he's in the same situation as me. Like we're, we're just trying to do the best that we can do. And yeah. And then he, then, then it's hard to think that as well, but I'm like, well, I'm like, you can't even express yourself because I'm such a mess. And it was just another layer of guilt to me that I'm like, and now you're not, you know, if you're not coping, you're not going to tell me about it because I'm already not coping. So yeah. 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 That's hard. I say first time parenthood for mums and dads is is hard because oh, there's absolutely. no way of like everyone said a million times over, there's no book, there's no manual that comes with them. So we've all no. just got to wing it really. <laughs> I know, I know. It's really hard. And I guess what we what I really want to talk about today is postnatal depression and anxiety, yep. things that you experienced. But I think for some people we have, I guess a particular perception of what that is and because we don't hear enough about you know the way that it actually plays out we think we don't have it we're just like oh no i'm just you know i'm just hormonal or i'm just this or i'm just that so and because of that we don't i guess voice it to our partners we don't voice it to our friends or family and we don't seek help so i guess yeah. i i would love for you to actually explain what does it feel like you know what did it look like for you so what you say is completely true like I I didn't it never crossed my mind that I had it because I don't remember anyone ever talking about it while I was pregnant like in prenatal classes and things like that they may have and maybe I didn't pay attention um but I didn't know what it was I had you know heard things like you know mothers who pretend you know might want to harm their babies and things like that um which some do that's the thing with postnatal depression not everyone is the same like everyone experiences it very differently but for me that wasn't the case. As I said, I never had any feelings to harm um, my son. Mine was just, the, as I said before, like the guilt, the guilt of, of doing everything wrong and, um, and not coping. I didn't. Yeah. And it's, it's, and it, it filters into every, and it's the isolation as well. It's the, like, I, you know, didn't have a massive group of friends beforehand. But when I had baby, like most of the friends I had had already had their kids. And so join the mother's group as you do, but I didn't know those ladies at the start. So I wasn't going to go sharing um, things with them that was going on because I was like, I don't want you to judge me. And that was a big thing as all these judgment. Like, as I said before, like I was very private. Like I didn't even tell my mum, me and my mum are super close and my dad, but I couldn't even tell her. Like, I don't know what I thought she would say, but I was like, I don't want to tell you that how I'm feeling. Um, I think I just wanted everyone to think that I was fine. Like, and that's what I'd say. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's the easiest thing to say. And I remember even going to maternal health nurse appointments uh, with my son and they give you a questionnaire for mother's mental health, like, or just not mental health, even just how you're coping and how you're feeling and things like that. And I lied on every single one of them. I would sit there and in my head, I like ticking the boxes and I'm like, why are you doing this? Like, why? Just say something. Just say, even you don't have to even make it out to be as bad as what it is. Just tell them that you, you're not 
great type thing, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't because I'm like, I don't know this lady and what if she wants to take, you know, my son off me or what if, you know, yeah, it's just too much. But then I'd get back to the car after the appointments and I'd be sitting in the car sobbing because I'm like, you need to tell someone something. Like, you can't keep going on like this. But I did keep going on like that. Like, my husband, who, of course, saw everything behind closed doors, was like, can you please please talk to someone. And I'm like, no, I, I can't. I couldn't physically. I'd toy with the, I'd make appointments with the like, right, this is it. You're going to go. And then I'd cancel the appointments because it was just the shame and the guilt and the, I don't want people knowing I'm not fine. It was the fear of the judgment of, of everyone. Like you don't want the label of I've got postnatal depression. Like it was easier just to ignore it and pretend that you don't but inside you're just very dark and very alone I think that's the thing because you don't see especially back then this is 11 years ago like pre-Instagram pre-Facebook really you didn't even have any any reference to anybody else like you'd hear like you know okay you know the stats and things like that but you didn't have a face for it like it was just like oh well is that like my story? Is that like me type thing? It, 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 yeah, you just felt very alone and like you were the only one going through it. Yeah, yeah. Because you weren't hearing those stories around you. You weren't hearing other people say, actually, I'm not really coping or this isn't how yeah. I thought it would be. <laughs> yeah, no one. No one ever. I mean, I wasn't doing it. So no one else, like, you know, if yes. you had a start of the conversation, then you might have heard it. But I wasn't going to be the first one to have that conversation. So yeah. yeah. And I guess that comes back to that sort of pressure and expectations that women have of being good at things. You know, like if you said that, then it comes down to, well, people are going to judge me about whether I'm a good or bad mum. And it's like, it's got nothing to do with that. But that's what we, that's what we think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gosh. And so that's really interesting that you say, because this is, you're, you're going back to 11 years ago and I can imagine how difficult it would have been to have conversations like that. Because at the moment, it does feel like this conversation is happening around us, that professional help is more readily available um, for mums that yep. have PND. Um, so I guess it's talking about then what do you think, or for you, what were some of those barriers and challenges that you faced? And you kind of touched on them then, but if there's someone listening and they're in the same spot, they're like, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to, but you know, that talking about it will be beneficial to them. What do you want to say to them about that? Please talk about it. It has to be, I would say my biggest regret. Um, my journey could have been a lot different um and for me not my journey with my kids so much but my journey with me because it has been 11 years of like this keeps rearing its ugly head it's not like I ever got to a point and I'm like oh there you go I don't have postnatal depression anymore okay I may not have postnatal depression anymore but I still have depression like it's it hasn't gone away it keeps coming back and the constant because the thing is when I think for me when your thoughts and your mindset are so negative for so long, it is very hard to change that. So if I kind of had a nipped it in the bud earlier and, you know, whether, you know, treatment wise, whichever way you decide to go, um, it's, it's stopping or at least training yourself to change those thoughts. Because when you continue those thoughts for a long period of time, that becomes your, that's kind of my basis of how I think about myself. And even, and it's the, the waiting for the crash type thing as well. Because obviously yeah. you go through stages where everything's fine and everything's great. And I'm, you know, I would consider myself a positive person and happy-go-lucky. But you're always waiting for the crash. It's like, when is something bad going to happen? And I'm going to be back in the deep dark hole again. So if you, are, if you are listening to this today and you're having any of the same sort of thoughts that I've been describing or you're not quite sure, find someone and talk to them you're you're worth talking to someone because you don't you first of all you don't deserve to feel that way especially if it's from having a baby like just because you've had a baby it doesn't mean that you have to beat yourself up because we're all doing the best we can at the end of the day you know and your your best is good enough you know you don't have to measure yourself up to anybody else as long as you 
you're doing what you can do and there's no shame in asking for help. That's the thing. You don't have to be one person in the world. You know, you can, I think I, I wrote a post on Instagram not long ago and I said, we've all heard of the saying, you know, it takes a, a village to raise a child. Well, I flipped that on its head and it takes a village to support a mother because we don't know, like, and without people around us um, to help us, it's a very lonely journey and it's a very lonely path um, and it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really great point that I guess what you're showing is that, you know, trauma and when you don't deal with things, they just don't go away over time. Like it is something that you have to deal with and that your life will be better by addressing it rather than trying to dig it under, you know, the carpet and, and just yeah. letting it fester. Like it's, it's still going to be there just because you've covered it up. Doesn't mean it's gone away. So I think that's a really great message that you're sharing. Thank you. Um, yeah. And then something else during your motherhood um, experience, you've also faced the diagnosis of one of your children having additional needs. So could you share for us then what was that experience like for you? Cause I'm sure there's many listening who have gone through something similar. Yeah, so my son started school, um, started prep, and we'd never, um, like he'd never had any problems before with anxiety or anything, um, but starting prep, it came on like from day one. From the transition periods, he had major separation anxiety, um, not wanting me to leave the room or being left in the classroom, and then started school in, in, in the new year, um, and it just escalated from there. Like it went from being anxious about school to being anxious at home and little things that that other kids or other people wouldn't worry about he would he would be like extremely extremely anxious about um we took him to a pediatrician um who said yes yeah, definitely has anxiety so recommended we saw a, a psychologist which we did um again me being me it was my fault because obviously I had postnatal depression and anxiety and I hadn't had it treated so it it felt like I've done this to him like mm. it's my fault that you're that way because your stupid mother this was it was like your stupid mother didn't deal with her shit so now you're having to go through this um so I saw a psychologist uh never really helped to be honest like he was just he was having panic attacks about like little things like even um they had graffiti in the schoolyard one night. Some kids came in, did some graffiti. Well, then he, he would wake at night screaming because someone's going to break into our house and graffiti my bedroom. And, like, he was, he was five years old. Like, it's things that you don't expect to see your child go through or want to see your child go through. Um, so that continued on until he was seven. So the end of grade one, we went back to the pediatrician and we're like, what else? what can we do type things we don't know how to help him and that's when she said she goes oh she goes he definitely has anxiety but there's a few warning signs that it there may be something else and I'm like what else type thing and she goes oh he's showing signs that he may be on the autism spectrum and it was like a brick wall so I was slapping not a slap in the face as in you know insulting it was so out of left field. Like I was so not ready or prepared for that conversation. Um, so we went and had the assessment done and yes, he, he would be diagnosed as the, um, what they used to say is Asperger's, which they don't diagnose anymore. They only diagnose autism. Um, so which is majorly uh, like the anxiety and, and social has double, has been trouble socially as well, picking up social cues and things like that. But in, I always struggled with it and I still do struggle with it because I'm like, he, he's this amazing, brilliant, caring, loving child who I've always known and now that you're putting a label on him. Like, I was thinking, I was then worried about judgment of him. Like, what does this mean for him? Like, I wasn't, it's not that I was worried about him, have, him being autistic. I'm like, that's cool, you're autistic. Like, that's fine. I've got no problem. I never you know, denied that or anything, but it's like, what does it mean for you? Like, what does that mean for your future? Like, where, where do we go from here? And, and, and how do I help you? Because there's nothing worse as a parent, as a mother, to watch your child go through something and not know what to do to help. Like, we'd be at school and, and he would be having panic attacks at school 
and and as he got older, it kind of got harder as well because he would then get conscious of them. Like he's like, people are looking at me like I'm, like I'm silly. Or he'd say that he goes, oh, I'm so silly. I'm like, no, you're not. I'm like, he's just he goes, I can't stop it because of course you know when at school and people don't know and don't really know how to handle it, it's like, oh, just just stop, like just calm down. He couldn't calm down, like he couldn't control what he was going through, and I'd get so angry not outwardly but internally so angry at people because I'm like stop trying to change him and switch him off like he's fine the way he is we just have to work out strategies to help him um but yeah as a mother as I said nothing can compare you it still falls under nothing can, can, can compare you to motherhood type thing it was just a at the time it felt like it was another thing it was like and this is my next knockdown yeah. And yeah, I think, I mean, I really want to get across that I don't, you know, an autism diagnosis isn't a bad thing. It's an expl- it was an explanation for us for why he was going through what he was going through. And it provided us with an opportunity to get him the help that he needed. So it wasn't a bad thing. Um, but it was just another thing for me if I don't know what to do to help. And I still feel like a contributing factor to that. I mean, you can sit here and rationally have a conversation and tell me that I didn't cause autism, but inside me, I still felt like I did that. Like I did something wrong at some stage and that is now why you have autism. So it was still that constant cycle of you've stuffed up again. It's all your fault, pretty much. It's always your fault. Oh, that's, yeah. And, you know, and I'm good at, as I said, and I'm so good at layering guilt. Like I don't yeah. let myself, I catastrophize things and I don't let myself feel just that one crappy emotion. I've yeah. got to layer it on because I've been doing it for so long. <laughs> Do you know what's interesting in sort of hearing your sort of your whole story is that when you could identify that your son needed help, you went out and sought help for him? Yep. You know, and that makes but you not me. But that makes you a great <laughs> a great mum. And yeah, yeah and no, you can see but you can see that, you know, the irony and sort of like, but you you know, you couldn't do that for yourself. Um yeah. which is so sad, which is why you you know, how you said before, sorry everyone if, if you're listening, I am crying right now. <laughs> um <laughs> how you said about the village, because like who's supporting the mum? Um, you yeah. know, because as soon as you could see your child needed help, you went and did that. <sighs> yeah. I'm gonna stop crying. I have a box of <laughs> tissues here. We're, we're, going, we're going together. I was yeah. all set. I've got my supplies all around me. I'm all good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, yeah, so thank you for sharing that. And I'm sure there's people listening right now and, and perhaps want to reach out for you because they might be struggling. So that's really great. And, you know, okay, so you've, got, you've had all these experiences through your motherhood journey and I would love now to talk about your mission because this is what, you know, has drawn me to you and now hearing your story, it all makes sense. So all of this has led to you starting something new and I can see it's, you know, on this brink of amazingness, I'll call it. It's called Project Strong Mum and I would love for you to share now what is it, how did it start, what are you hoping for this to be? So Project Strong Mum, my new little baby as I call it. It's not new though. It's been bouncing around in my head for probably about three years. Um, I used to run a personal training business for mums, which I started um, only five years ago. So I haven't always been a personal trainer. It was something I started literally during, actually during the autism diagnosis type area. I tried to, I think I'd just, you know, add something else to the list. But anyway, it was all about Project Strong Mum Now is um, all about creating community um, around mums. And, support, and supporting mums pretty much. Um, I want to create something that reminds mum, reminds mums of they're good enough just the way they're, they are. Like comparison is is everywhere these days. And kind of when it comes to motherhood, things like, you know, oh, my baby's sleeping through the night or is walking or is eating. We as mothers sometimes take that on as that's a reflection of us as mothers. Like, Oh, mine, you know, my, my baby's not, is it something that I'm not doing and things like that. So as I said, I want to, um, I struggle to explain it sometimes. I think that's the hardest thing. I pretty much want to create something that I wish I had on the hardest days of motherhood. 
I want a place for mums to come um, when they're not feeling like they're feeling like a failure and they're feeling like they they don't know what they're doing and they think they're the only one. They can come to Project Strong Mum and have that reminder that no, you are enough just by being you. Your good, your good enough is good enough type thing. I want to inspire mums to, if you've always had that little thing inside you that you want to do, go and do it. Like you've literally got one life and in that life you have, you have to live it to the fullest type thing. You don't hide yourself away like I did for so long and not see the outside world because of what you think about yourself. Go out there and do those things. It might be something simple. It might be you've always wanted to learn piano. You've always wanted to go to a pottery class. Find something that makes you happy and go and do it because we, we deserve that as mothers. And our kids deserve that too because, you know, without we're there to look after them type thing. And if we're not in a great mental state or, or things, you know, I suppose you'll be a better mother that when you feel better about yourself type thing. And it can be hard. Like it's time, we're all time poor and things like that. But it might just be like for me on my hardest days, you can get up in the morning and go, right, I'm going to have a shower today. And as simple as that sounds to, to anybody, you know, it's like, but if you're having a day where you're feeling that terrible, terrible about yourself, that shower can mean so much. Like that's your step forward. A walk around the block, that's your step forward. It's like, what can you find in your day to be that one step forward? Um, and that's what I want Project Strong Mum to be, is that little glimmer of hope type thing. It sounds a bit airy fairy I think it, when I say it sometimes but sometimes you need that if you're in a in a bad bad place hard place you can't see it for yourself like you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel you kind of go I'm in this shit storm and I have no way of getting out or if you have somewhere to go and kind of go I am in a shit storm and it's bad right now but I know it's going to get better like that's what that's what I want Project Strong Mum to be. So, and it's just that reminder, that kind of forced positivity that when you can't see it for yourself, we will tell it to you for you. Yeah. And you can see like you, you're creating this supportive community. Um, you're speaking about motherhood really honestly and tackling, you know, the issues that, like you said, that people didn't talk about or sometimes people don't say out loud. You're saying the things people are thinking but they're not saying. Um, and that gives someone permission to, one, feel normal, you know, be yeah. like, oh, my God, it's not just me, that relief of like there's other people feeling this way and it's it's going to, you know, support them and encourage them to start having that conversation about how they're feeling or taking some action to feel better about themselves and their situation. Yeah, and I think the thing is, like, I'm doing this petrified. Like, I am doing this shaking in my boots because I said I've wanted to do this for so long. But the things, all these things I've spoken about today, nobody knows. As I said, I didn't tell my own parents what I was going through. I never sought professional help. There's no way I would tell these things to, to other people. But now, like Instagram, Facebook, I'm putting posts up that on one side of me, I'm petrified of what everyone's going to say about me or think about me, even though I don't know what they're saying or thinking. But for me, if just one mum reads a post and goes, crap, like that's me or a part of that's me, then it's worth me being uncomfortable. Like it's worth me putting myself out there. It's not about uh, one hand project strong mum is about me because it's my journey to, you know, because I'm still on a journey. I'm not, no way in, in the world am I a confident person that's sharing this, like sharing even what I've said today but it's got to be bigger than that. Like what I've been through has to now mean something. Like it's not just that little part, that little chapter of my life that I fold away and tuck under the bed type thing. What can I do with that now? Like can I be that little step in someone else not going through things as badly as I did? Yeah. 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 And, and, and that's what I love. Like, you know, I, I saw it and I could, I was reading all your posts and I was like, yes, like, like literally fist pumps in the air going, oh my gosh, like I can love, I, I love what I'm seeing here. I love what I'm reading. And 
for those, and I guess when I asked you about being on the podcast and you were sort of saying, oh, but everyone you've interviewed is already, you know, they're an expert in their field or they've been doing it for a long time. I've just started this. Um, and, you know, that's really interesting. But I, I love that I, you know, get to speak to you and see where you're at and, you know, how this is coming about and why this is coming about because I can see how much it is going to help someone who connects with you but like you said this was manifesting for a while and you've yeah. finally taken the steps to do it but what was the things that were holding you back and especially to share that I guess there's going to be someone listening saying I want to start something they've got something in their mind ticking over yeah. and they're not doing it for some reason what's that thing that I guess got you over the edge to say you know what stuff it I'm going to start Project Strong Mum it's happening yeah it's the, I will be on my deathbed one day and I will regret not doing it. Like I might do this now and nothing comes of it. Like it, it's just a little thing that I do and, and, but at least I did it. Like I did it. It didn't work out. It was done. Then to get to the end of your life and go, oh, but if I had have tried that, like where would that have led and what could I have done? So I, I got to a point where I'm like, I will, I will risk the uncomfortableness to instead of having the guilt later on because you've got, and life's too short. Like you hear stories every day about, you know, we, you know, women my age with breast cancer or, or, you know, another illness or in a car accident or something where time's not guaranteed. Like we don't know how long we've got. And I know I've spent the last 11 years with a very small life like isolating myself and living so small and not doing things that I want to do because of this, then I'm not willing to do that anymore. Like you've got you've to take those little brief glimpses of bravery because that's what it is. Because as I said, there's nothing easy about this. There's nothing comfortable about this. Um, but you just got to do it. And what's the worst that could happen? Because it used to be what's the worst could happen. Oh, everyone will talk about me and mum's in the schoolyard or walk around and talk about me behind my back. And, and what about my kids? What will they think? And I'm like, at the end of the day, what you, what's your alternative? Yeah. Like, you know, I continue living the way I have, which isn't serving me, or I do something different. And we're doing something different. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so great to see. It's awesome. It's really good. And I urge anyone to go over to see Project Strong Mum on Insta and Facebook and read through those posts because, yeah, this is going to be so amazing. So now thank you so much for sharing your story and your mission. And what I'd love to talk about now is more specifically you. So yes. you love podcasts. I did see that on your thing and I think that's why I was like, oh, we're, you know, we're listening to some of the same podcasts again so that, you know, had something great in common. I'd love for you to share what are some that you're enjoying at the moment. People can perhaps, you know, hit subscribe to those ones. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm relatively new to podcasting. I, um, I started, I was trying to get back into a bit of a routine. I'm like, I'll go for a walk after I drop the kids off at school every morning. Um, I've got a few injuries, so exercise is always a bit oh, what am I going to injure now? So I'm like, I'll walk. Surely I should be safe walking. Apart from being spooked by magpies, I should be okay. Um, so obviously I love Mama's on a mission. <laughs> oh, my gosh, plug. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but Erica Kramer, Queen of Confidence, was one of the first ones I started listening to, which she's absolutely amazing. Um, I went to, and I know you did too, Holly, to her Creating Confidence Masterclass. Bold like Which, a baby. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, oh my God. I was like front row balling and I turned into a <laughs> microphone crying. It was probably horrendous. But anyway, but it was, you know, without sounding cheesy, it was a life changing moment. Yeah. Going to the event alone was such a big thing. But then listening to, to Erica and the other women there, it was another little push on this path for me. So that's a good one. Um, I like Cat John's Real Raw Relatable podcast um, and Oprah's Super Soul Conversations. They're good too. I like listening to people's stories. I like mm. to hear people's experiences and what they've been through and where they are now. Um, and I also like a bit of a kick up the bum sometimes too because I, you know, like I've said probably a few times now, my my mindset and my internal dialogue can be very negative. Um, so I sometimes have to, with podcasts, when you get headphones in, you have to listen to 
you know, sometimes some hard truths as well, because it's, you know, you, you do, you know, sometimes have a choice, like, you know, you even going for a walk in the morning, like I could drop the kids off at school, I could easily go home, but I'm like, no, I have a choice. I can walk. And, you know, as much as, you know, you can't, you know, can't, I don't think you can have a choice to have depression. I'm not saying that you can just go, right, I'm not depressed anymore. It's not as simple as that, but it's like, what can you do to help yourself? So when I'm listening to podcasts, especially on the days where I'm not having a great day, um, I'll pick a topic or a, or a person's story to listen to that I know will uplift me, I suppose, um, and change my mindset. Because I do, I get home from my walk and one, it's good for the endorphins after you've walked anyway. But what I've been listening to has generally shifted me, even if it's just a little bit. It's not like I walk out at like, rah, rah, like I'm now this super <laughs> positive person. But even if it's just slightly changed, because like, I can wake up in the morning and go, oh, or even just a normal mum day, like, school lunches, uniforms, <laughs> doing hair. And it's like, oh my God, again, it's like Groundhog Day where I go yes. for my walk, pop a podcast in and I'm like, right. You know, it just changes the, changes the hamster wheel in your head sometimes. So, Yeah, well, absolutely. What you're surrounding yourself with, whether it's via a podcast or the friends that you keep company or what you're watching or what you're reading, like that's, that's filtering into your, to your subconscious. So you know, it's yep. great. You've got a really good pick there. Do you listen to Rachel Hollis as well? Yeah, yeah. So I, st- I didn't even know how I found Rachel Hollis and then I read both her books and and the podcast. Yeah, she's another one on my, on my depends on the day I'm having on what I want yes. to listen to because hers is sometimes a bit more business. So yeah. some days I'm like, I need to listen to some business stuff and then other days it's, yeah. Um, but no, she's a good one and her books are good too. I was, I went, I've always been a bit of a personal development like books and things like, like, you know, um, oh, five second rule. Mel Robbins is another good one. I've read quite a few different books. Sometimes don't apply these things, but I like to read them anyway, but you'll normally get a little snippet like the podcast too. You'll get a little snippet out of it. That'll really hit home and that you might change some of it's not, you don't have to do everything in the podcast or everything in the book. Um, but you might just use one little tool or trick in your everyday life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, my fave question, what's a random fun fact about you? I love a good costume party. <laughs> I, very, I, I commit to a theme. Like, I think I said the, uh, said, um, I've said before, I'm kind of an introverted extrovert. So on one hand, I worry what people think, but when it comes to dressing up, I don't. Like I had a, um, a fundraiser a few weeks ago and it was um, disco bingo. So come dressed as your favourite you know, musician or whatever. So, so there's people like with wig, you know, you got wig or some tutus. And I was Gene Simmons from Kiss, um, as in the face paint, the three-inch platform boots. Uh, I, yeah, things like that. I don't really care. I'm like, if I'm having fun, then it's all good. But I've been like, oh, Mario. We had a Mario and Luigi. I've been Wonder Woman. I've, yeah, if there's, if there's a chance to dress, like most of the time it's optional costumes. There is no optional for me. Um, and I'm passing that on to, to my kids too. My daughter goes to like the local blue light disco. And again, it's optional to dress up, but no, we're, we're like eBay <laughs> looking for costumes. So I'm happy to be passing that on to the next generation. Oh, that's <laughs> cool. My kids love costumes too. And even if it's not a costume day, like they'll just even come up to me and be like, I want to wear this. Even the baby who can't speak will bring me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you can be a pumpkin and go to the supermarket. I don't care. Like, <laughs> why not? As why not? You're enjoying yourself. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So does that mean there's high expectations for Halloween then? Well, I don't really do. We went trick-or-treating last year for the first time, um, which now my daughter's like, so we're going again? And I'm like, it's a Thursday night. Like, you kind of go, I've got so many other things to do. Um, but she's got, um, as I said, Blue Light Disco is for Halloween yeah. and it's dress up for that. And then her school disco is the week after, which is dress up. So she's already yeah doing a bit of research for that one anyway. So she will get a costume out of it somehow. oh that'll be good to see and so now we've come to the end and I just want to wrap up with finding out where people can connect with you yeah so Instagram is at project underscore strong underscore mum or just type in project strong mum I think it comes up anyway uh Facebook is project strong mum 
Uh, email is just info at projectstrongmom.com. On the, I didn't say before, on the um, uh, Instagram and Facebook, I'm launching a, a range of T-shirts soon too. So my always enough T-shirts. So it's kind of like an affirmation T-shirt, you would say. So I said on the days where you're not feeling great, you pop your T-shirt on. It's got a logo on the left-hand side that says always enough. So when you look in the mirror, you'll go to say nasty things to yourself, but you'll see that and remember, no, I'm good. And as I said, it's got a little heart on it, which is on your left-hand side where your heart beats. It's just another little step of, yeah, reminding mums that we're all good. We're all good. Yeah. We're our own worst enemy sometimes. Um, but I think we all as a collective need to work on that and need to, yeah, be a bit kinder to ourselves. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Mamas on a Mission. If you did, hit subscribe, leave a review, or let's chat more on Motherhood Melbourne Facey or Insta page. If you're keen as beans to know more about my guest, the podcast, or my podcast partner, visit motherhoodmelbourne.com.au. Okay, mama, that's a wrap. Thanks for hanging out with me.